Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The 2021 NFL Draft is in the books, but there is still plenty to wager on over at betonline.ag. You've got the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, and oh, by the way, you can still bet on plenty of football-related items, rookie futures, NFL futures, who's going to win the Super Bowl, how many yards are some of these top rookies going to throw for, run for, receive. It's all available to you at betonline.ag. Check it out today. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy Podcast. Podcast With your hosts, Paige DeMakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Welcome into the TDN Fantasy Podcast. Chris Schubert, Jamie Eisner, Jake Arians back once again. Part two of the Running Back Projection Show. We did part one at the end of last week. So if you missed that, head on over and check that out before you listen to part one. The top 27 running backs, and that feels like a very arbitrary number, but that's because that is how many names fit into the top four tiers of Jamie's projections. That is what we have left, tiers four, three, two, and one, and that makes up the top 27 names and because there are 27 names I think there are going to be lots of conversation about the way these names uh, have shaked out so let's get right into it I will read the tier four names Michael Carter at 27 Travis Etienne at 26 Chase Edmonds 25 J.K. Dobbins 24 Josh Jacobs 23 Mike Davis 22 Melvin Gordon 21 and Clyde Edwards Hilaire at 20 so that is the group that makes up tier four Jake any, I, I, I listen. I, if there's one thing I know about you is when there's time in between these shows, you pick out a bunch of names that you want to start with. And I know you looked at this tier. So where are we starting? Where, how, what are we yelling at Jamie about to start the show? I can't. This, all these tiers make a lot of sense. It's where it just matters where you want to take these guys. Like I, I don't really have any arguments here. Like the one guy in this list that I think could finish much higher than this, but I love where he's at is Clyde Edwards-Alaire. But it's Andy Reid. You never know who he's going to use, how much they're going to use him. Is he going to be the feature guy? They're actually going to throw it to him this year. I could see him finishing much higher, but I love where he is on this list. J.K. Dobbins is going to split more time than most people think. We talked about that. We talked about Gus Edwards on the other show. Uh, I don't really mind this tier, man. I don't mind anybody we're going to talk about today where they're listed. I don't really don't have a ton of arguments. The rookies. Yeah, I like where they're at. I mean, there's going to be hard to, to make a, a case to, to put them any higher than this to start of the year. So let's let's start with Clyde Edwards-Alaire for a second, just because he's been a, a topic that has been discussed a lot in the fantasy Twitter space lately. And he's actually a player that I've adjusted his projection on over the last week or so since we started doing this, these shows. And, you know, it, this is a case where he burned a lot of people last year. And, and I think there's... There's a lot of people that are low on him because of that. That's not why I'm low on him. I don't, that's why I do these numbers. So I don't, I can avoid some of those biases of being like, wow, you know, because he's a player that last year throughout the process, originally I was lower on because of Damian Williams. And then after the opt out, I was higher on him, but then people were pushing him into like the top 10 in the first part of the first round. And again, we talk about buying up a player's complete upside when we talk about being concerned and why you shouldn't take certain players at their absolute peak unless you have to. He was a player in that scenario. I'm comfortable with him here. And if we and if we take out the injury factors from some guys in front of him, he's probably two or three spots higher where I think he'll finish in like total fantasy points. But on a per-game basis, I feel comfortable with him here at 20. The interesting thing about 
Clyde Edwards-Alaire is I was surprised to see that they did not run him quite as much as you would think. Like over the, of their total rush share uh, last year, Clyde Edwards-Alaire only got about 52.77% of the total rushing attempts. And by the way, that was only like 58% even pre-Le'Veon Bell. And I, and I know that's kind of in the narrative that's come out on Twitter the last couple of weeks. Look what he did weeks one through six of last year. Then they signed Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell's not there anymore. Is overestimating the value that Le'Veon Bell ended up actually bringing to the Kansas City Chiefs. So the fact is going to be is Andy Reid is going to use a veteran back at some point, uh, and that veteran back looks like it's going to be Daryl Williams at times. He's not going to get the majority of the carries or anything like that, but he's going to get some work. You know, I boosted Clyde Edwards a layer up from that 52.77% to about 56%. So I tried to split the difference between what his season average was and what it was the first six weeks last year, kind of splitting the difference there. And I think you're going to get a fairly productive amount of carries. I have him at 231 projected carries, but you know he was a 4.44 yards per attempt guy. Uh, I boosted his touchdown percentage. I don't think he's going to be a 2.2 touchdown percentage guy that he was last year. I mean, that was like a full percentage lower than even guys like Benny Snell. Um, so I, I, th- I boosted that a little bit so he can be around those seven or eight touchdowns. You know, I don't know what the pass catching upside truly is. We thought it was a lot higher when he got drafted with the 32nd overall pick. Then they didn't use him as much. Um, But I kind of used his, you know, 11% target share from last year and think he can replicate that again this year. So I like where he's going to end up being. I think he's an RB2. Could I see him finishing closer to 15 than where we have him at 20? Sure, I absolutely could. But I, I don't see the RB1 upside with him. And I know it goes Chiefs offense, but Chiefs offense is Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey. And that's how it's been. It's always been. And uh, to me, it's Edward Delaire is going to have some big weeks. But my concern is there are going to be a lot of weeks where he gets like 12 or 13 touches for you. And it's just not going to get the job done as an RB1. Uh, so if you take him in here as an RB2, as a back half of RB2 category, I think you're going to be very happy with the value that you get from him this year. There's one on here that I want to talk about, Jamie. I love where you have him, but I think it's going to shock a lot of people. It's Mike Davis. Go back on what he did last year. Atlanta brings him in. He's going to be the feature back there. They didn't really bring a whole lot in for him to go against. They didn't take Javante in the second round like we all thought they were going to. Thank you, Falcons. He's the guy. I love where you have him there. We don't know what this Arthur Smith offense is going to look like there, but we think it's going to be much more Tennessee than what we've seen in Atlanta for the last, what, four or five years not throwing it as much. I love where you have him. I think he's going to have a nice bulk of the carries. He's got to stay healthy, but he showed last year he can be really productive when he has the chance. Yeah, and I think he's going to be a 15 carries per game type of guy. Um, And I just don't see somebody there that's going to take a ton of value from him. Uh, You know, I think this is a guy that can be around that little bit 9% or higher target share as well. Um, I I think this this is going to be a completely different offense in Atlanta than what we are used to. And I think that's something that has become, you know, a topic that's even come to a guy they trade away in Julio Jones. If we're looking at a different offense for the Atlanta team than we have seen in the past, it's not going to quite be, they're going to have to pass a lot because they quite frankly are still a bad football team, but they're going to have to, but they're not going to pass like they have the last five years. This is not going to be a team that's going to get 650, 660 pass attempts over 16 games or 17 games, excuse me. So they're going to run the ball a bit more. And Mike Davis has proven to be capable And I'm really not asking him in my projection to do anything more than what he's done the last few years. You know, at 15 carries a game, his three-year average yards per attempt is just over four. 
So it's not like we're projecting something crazy there. Uh, you know, his touchdown percentage isn't super high. Like, I'm not asking him to do anything out of character. His target share comes from, I think he's going to get about 75% of what the RB target share is going to be in Atlanta, which for Arthur Smith over the last handful of years has been around a little over 12%. I, I think this is a fairly, if he's healthy, this is a fairly conservative estimate, I think, for Mike Davis. So I feel comfortable in here with him here at, at RB22. You know, there's always a chance, and the thing you always have to kind of factor in the back of your mind is there's always a chance when you get kind of like a mid-level running back or mid-level player at any position that ends up being the starter for a team that they're just more easily replaceable than some of the other options there. And if there's an injury, it's more they're more likely to lose their job longer term, blah, blah, blah. But while Mike Davis is healthy, you're going to get top 25 running back production and maybe even top 20 running back production. I'm, I'm a big fan of his this year. I think we saw last year him finally get that opportunity and break out. There's like who's taking touches from him when he's healthy. He's going to get the majority of the touches in, in Atlanta. And that's always a valuable fantasy commodity. That's why I love where you have him. And I think in a lot of drafts, you're going to get a lot of value there because I think he's going to slide. He's not a name that a lot of people are going to you know, recognize when you've got big names behind him that I think you're going to get a ton more. You're going to get a lot more value there than the Ronald Jones four net split going on in Tampa, which are bigger names. I think guys are going to, you're going to take ahead of them in a lot of drafts. I think he's a guy I'm going to target in a lot of my drafts uh, for that specific reason, just for value alone. Do we want to very quickly have a Melvin Gordon conversation? He comes in at 21 on yeah. this. And I think it's, yeah. I think it's worthy because we talked in last week's episode about Javante Williams and what that split share could look like and how much both of those guys are going to get uh, work-wise. So I think it's it, I think it's important to have a conversation about that. Jamie, how did you ultimately end up getting uh, here to Melvin Gordon at 21? So I think there's been this conversation around the Denver Broncos running back situation has been, I think, a little bit overblown, for lack of a better phrase. I know there's always hype when you bring in a rookie in rounds one or round two. Like, I get it. It happens every year. But Melvin Gordon, I still think, is going to be the established back there this year. I think that Javante Williams, as I've said on the show before, take a shot if, you, if you're doing, you know, TDN fantasy drinking games. Uh, I think Javante Williams is going to be really good next year, but Melvin Gordon is still there this year. He's still their RB1. And I basically just looked at the amount of times that this Broncos team ran the ball, uh, and I weighed it towards last year. And they run the ball about 23 times per game to running backs. So taking out quarterbacks, any other gadget players, they give the, they hand the ball to the running back about 23 times per game. And the, the top running back share for the Broncos last year was just under 62%. So I'm going to give that to Melvin Gordon, which still gives an opportunity for Javante Williams to be a player that can get. I mean, I haven't projected to get 148 carries. I'm not saying they're tethering him to the bench, but I don't think he's going to come in and just just dominate the, this workload. I think the Broncos are going to run the ball a lot. And I think they're going to try to run the ball even more than they have before. And their ability to do it successfully is probably going to come more down to can Drew Locke slash Teddy Bridgewater be competent enough to let them establish this running game longer term, or they're going to have to play hero ball in the fourth quarter just to make up for their offensive mistakes earlier in the game. You know, I, I just, to me, when you're in the red zone, when you, you're looking to give the majority of the carries, it's going to go to Melvin Gordon still. And, and I think he's just being incredibly underrated right now, considering that he still put up decent numbers last year with Philip Lindsay at times. I know Philip Lindsay had off season and had injuries, but Lindsay got some carries as well. You know, I just think this is going to be more like a 
you know, a 60 40 type split in Melvin Gordon's favor. And by the way, this projection is if he's getting essentially with the RB2 a 62 to 38 split. So I've, I think that's important too, where it, I'm still giving Javante Williams a significant workload. It's not like he's going to be sitting on the bench this whole time. I just think people have forgotten what Melvin Gordon potentially do. And the fact that he's going to has a really strong chance of scoring double digit touchdowns. You know, this is a guy that's got a three year touchdown rate near 5%, um, which includes the last couple of years in, in Denver. So uh, I'm really excited about him at the value. It seems like people are, don't want him. They're shying away from him. They, they he's kind of like, Oh, I guess I got to take Melvin Gordon. I don't feel that way at all. Jamie, money talks, man. They're still paying him $10 million. Mm -hmm. He's in the second year of this big-time deal. You're not paying a running back $10 million for him not to be your feature guy. I agree wholeheartedly in everything you just said. Javante is going to be the dude starting next year unless Melvin gets hurt. But he plays through a lot of injuries. He's playing for another contract. He thinks he has plenty left in the tank. He's going to be playing for somewhere else. But you're not paying a running back $10 million to not be your feature guy. End of story. Yeah, and, and I think the context, too, if you have to look at last year, if, if people are screaming into their headphones right now about last year, Melvin Gordon's not Mark Ingram, for one. Mar it took a Marlon Mack season-ending injury to get Jonathan Taylor up and running early on. Like, it, it's, I know last year we saw some of the second-round picks make an impact, but the circumstances behind them are a little bit different than what the circumstances are for Javante Williams, who I love. I love the talent and will be very good. I just don't think he's getting the majority of the carries this year. I will say, Jamie, you set it up perfectly by saying, you know, I don't see Javonta Williams getting on the field and, and dominating or however you phrased it, because I'm just going to isolate that clip in it once we're done here. And that's just going to go into the potential Jamie roast files folder that I'm just keeping track of during the season. I agree with you. But when you say things so strongly like that, well, I those didn't say just, he wasn't going to be good. I said those he's just dominate get filed carries. away a little bit. They just get filed away for the end. I'll be away saying I agree wholeheartedly yeah. then. Fine. They're both both of those files. Giving him 148 carries. Like I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm not saying he's going to be bad. I'm just saying I don't I don't. Mujay, like they're paying Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon's been perfectly fine for them. He's going to be the guy this year unless he gets hurt. But Tier three. that's the case for everybody. Tier three got a bunch more names to get into. Miles Gaskin at 19, Chris Carson at 18, David Montgomery 17, Miles Sanders 16, Najee Harris 15, Antonio Gibson 14, Nick Chubb 13, DeAndre Swift 12, Cam Akers 11, and. Uh, there's one name already that I'm circling, but I feel like we're going to have a longer conversation about him. Uh, Jake, anybody here that jumps off the page of you that you want to discuss? Yeah, the first one, Miles Gaskin, had a great year last year. We're all expecting big things from him. It kind of came out of nowhere last year in that Dolphins backfield. Uh, a couple big names that are lower than a lot of people expect. David Montgomery, I still don't know what we're getting, but he's got a lot more competition in that backfield than he's had in the past. Uh, we know who's calling the plays. And we know how much he loves Tariq Cohen. We, that's going to matter. Chris Carson's one that's really interesting, too. He's back in the same place without the less let Russ cook, you know, dynamic of this offense. They want to go through him. I think he has a monster year. His whole thing is staying healthy and not fumbling the football. But, I mean, there's some big-time names in this one. We'll get into these other guys as, as we go through this. But those, those first three pop out at me as like, okay, David Montgomery, question mark. Chris Carson, I think there's value there. And Miles Gaskin – I really kind of started to fall in love with as a player last year. There's another guy I'm circling that I think a lot of names, the average fan in your a lot of these drafts is not going to recognize that name or the value that he was last year for them. And he's the guy there. They didn't go draft a guy. They didn't bring in a ton of other stuff. He's going to be their dude. I think there's a ton of value in that. And that guy's slipping down the board as well in Gaskin. 
Yeah, so let's, let's start with Carson and Gaskin because the reason they are 18 and 19 in that order for me and not really where their per-game projection would put them, which was closer to 13, is because of injuries. Uh, you know, you, you're going to have to factor in missed time for both of these players because that's just something that's been a, a key factor for their career so far. I factored in two missed games for Chris Carson, or excuse me, three missed games for Chris Carson, four missed games for Miles Gaskin. But if you believe they're going to stay healthy for the full season on a per game basis, they're touching, they're like just nudging up against the bottom of RB1 territory. Look, when Carson's on the field, you're going to get top 15 running back play. You just are. He's getting it to you every year. Like the last three years, the last two years, he's been number RB12 in average fantasy points per game, both seasons individually. And if you collectively combine them, he was RB12 again. You just got to stay on the field. There is no competition in Seattle. Rashad Penny is not a good football player and he can't stay healthy. Travis Homer, DJ Dallas, all, all these other pieces. pick Rashad Penny to that's, you. That's, not, that's adorable. He, and I believe he had, he's had adorable. more like surgeries than he has like carries, I think, so far in his career. Again, I, just don't care. There's no competition for Chris Carson. Chris Carson is Chris Carson's competition. And so he's got to stay healthy and you have to factor in some missed games. But when he is active, you are getting a borderline RB1. Like And that's kind of been the case for two years now. Miles Gaskin, same deal. And he's got to stay healthy, but I loved what he did last year. They didn't bring in somebody to replace him. You know, he's probably not going to get many rushing touchdowns. I think that might be the, the one knock on him between, you know, when they're bringing in the, the Malcolm Browns of the world and you still have Salvin Ahmed and some of these other pieces there. But he's going to be the check down guy. I think he's going to be a 60-ish target player, even in his 13 games projected. Uh, you know, I still think he's going to get plenty of work. And when he is on the field, he's also a guy that's going to be a borderline running back one. He just has to stay on the field consistently, and he's got to maintain the job. Like, I think Chris Carson's a more talented running back overall. I still could see a scenario where Miles Gaskin could go a couple weeks where he falls out of favor. You know, I, so that's my only concern with him. But to me, it's more of an injury-based thing. And when you're getting this high, trying to replace three or four games of a top 20 running back is a different story than trying to place three or four games of like running back 30 or running back 35. So you have to factor that in. And this is the case where guys that are within maybe one fantasy point per game, but are going to actually play a full season, or we believe have a better chance to play a full season, get a slight nod uh, in the same category. Um, David Montgomery was the other name that was asked about. And I've moved him around a bunch. I talked about a little bit on the, on the show or last week about how fell through the cracks that Matt Nagy was taking play calling back from Bill Lazor that knocked David Montgomery down about five spots. Uh, in my rankings where I ended up putting him. He's still going to get a lot of workload, but he's not going to get the workload that he saw last season. He's going to get the workload he kind of saw with with Matt Nagy, which kind of put him in this borderline RB2 kind of territory with him. We'll see how healthy Tariq Cohen is this year, how he can stay healthy. Damian Williams is there in the backfield, but they could have upgraded quarterback play. I, I, I just, to me, it's all about can he continue to catch the ball like he did last year? If they're going to at least let him have those opportunities on early downs to catch the football, you're still going to get RB2 production from him. But, you know, you're not going to get the upside we saw late. Well, I mean, the upside we saw late last season was a top five running back. You're not going to get that. Specifically not going to get that with Matt Nagy calling the plays again because I, I see no reason to believe he's going to call plays significantly differently than he has his entire run with the Bears prior to Bill Lazor taking over. And that's and that hurts David Montgomery's value a little bit. Who's your guy? Okay. Who's your guy, Chris? Who's All right, turn? Jamie. So which are the two big names you want me to talk about, Chris? Let's have the DeAndre Swift conversation. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh. We can't go there yet. That's the top of the tier. Okay. That's uh, okay. We can't, we can't go there without talking about Najee Harris. First. Okay, please go right ahead. Which we all like, okay, he's the perfect guy to go to Pittsburgh. 
right? Except for the fact that they did nothing to fix this offensive line. And we still have him getting this much of a workload because we all love the player this much. I like where you have him, Jamie, but I think he's going to get overdrafted a ton. And people don't realize they're still going to throw it a ton. I'm not real sure Ben can be under a center a lot. Well, last year I said they had to go to the pistol and they started doing that. I'm not really sure how much that fits Najee Harris. And they didn't fix this offensive line. Well, I love this player. And I think he's going to get a ton of volume and be out there a ton. He plays through injuries. He comes from Alabama. We all know that. I'm, I still have major question marks how good this offensive line can be. Yeah, and if you look at his, I think the volume is really what's going to be exciting for him because I don't know if he's going to be that efficient because of those offensive line issues. Uh, I'm comfortable taking him in the third, in the middle of the third round. Uh, that's where I would be okay with him. I don't know how far he's going to get there because he is a, a very much an overdraft candidate. You know, where I tried to land with, with Najee Harris, and, and it's really tough to project rookies because we're, we're projecting even more unknown than we've had before. So I kind of looked at what Mike Tomlin is, has, how many running attempts per game um, that the Steelers have given to their running backs over the last three seasons. And I figured, what if they just use him like they used James Conner the last couple, last three years, like a 60% carry share, uh, which I think is reasonable. I don't think that's too much. I don't think that's too little. Puts him over a 17 game season in that like 235, 236 carries mark. You know, it, his type of physical style, whether we, we look at James Conner was about a 4.3 yards per carry player. Um, you know, he kind of has a, you know, from a physical trait standpoint, from a, just like a mock draftable comp with like a Bo Scarborough at 4.2 yards per carry. So kind of being in that range, again, not spe- not spectacular numbers. Like he's a better p- running back than like a 4.25 yards per carry player, but he might not be behind this offensive line. So I wanted to be conservative kind of looked at about how many rushing touchdowns per game this this Steelers team has averaged over the last three years uh, and kind of put that into context. Look at what RB1's peak value would be for a target share and all that other stuff to kind of get to this point. So I feel like these are a fairly – the workload isn't super conservative, but I feel like these numbers are super conservative. Like I'm not – we're not asking him to be a, a four-and-a-half yard per carry guy. We're not asking him to come out – you know, and be, you know, a 15 touchdown player. Like, and if you think he's going to be that, then again, we talk about drafting players at their absolute peak ceiling and getting no value in return. I'd be comfortable with him here at RB 15. I like him a lot just because I do think he's going to get enough volume to be successful in fantasy, but I can't take him in the first two rounds. And I know he's going to go in that spot in a lot of places. I know the hype is only going to continue once we get preseason games. And once we get rolling and you start to see him a little bit, the hype's going to go out of control. I'm fine with taking him as your RB2 in the third round, but that's kind of – I'm comfortable where I have him there at RB15. I'll tell you where I like where I like him the most in this. Is I know this offense so well, and while we're talking about it changing, it's not changing. That's why they went with that, that guy or the candidate as the coordinator yeah. because it's all going through Ben. Ben will dump it off, and they run a lot of screens. So I think his volume in the passing game could be really, really good for him for you in fantasy. Can Go we ahead, now Chris. have the DeAndre Swift conversation? Because Jamie and I are on that's opposite ends – of this conversation because I, I right this, this should be interesting. I had DeAndre Swift in the keepers league and I made the decision this offseason to move him because I disagree with the idea that he is a RB one. Jamie has him literally on the border of it as RB 12, uh, right on the border of RB one, RB two. I'm not there with DeAndre Swift this season. Uh, the snap counts from last year concern me. He only got 38% of the offensive snaps. That's even with after week 10, they basically handed him the offense. He missed a couple of games with the concussion with the injuries. I have concerns about how that running back room has not cleared the way for DeAndre Swift to be the starter. We saw in his rookie season, they had Adrian Peterson. 
And now Adrian Peterson's gone, but now Jamal Williams comes in. And I still think there is going to be a running back room that is by committee in a lot of ways. So I really have a tough time seeing that on a week-to-week basis, DeAndre Swift is, one, going to get the touches to be able to do it, and two, have the production to be able to be an RB1. Jamie, go ahead. I do not feel that way. So (laughs) I think this is where some of the stuff gets overvalued and overblown. Now, you talked about DeAndre Swift's snap counts from last year being, being fairly low. They were, by the way, they weren't that great the last part of the season, excuse me, the back part of the season either. You know, if you look at him post the injury, he was 53%, 65, 68, 57. So it's not like his production last year required him to be a 70% snap guy. He did that once, and that was week 10. And that was the week uh, he was named the starter and then got hurt. Got hurt, yes. Uh, I think you also have to realize there's a different staff in town now. And you have a staff and, and an offensive coordinator that is going to use multiple running backs successfully because he did it in Los Angeles and Anthony Lynn. So I looked at this last year and I looked at him and basically said, what if DeAndre Swift is used like Austin Eckler or somewhat similarly to the way he used Austin Eckler? You know, look at Lynn's offenses ran about 22.84 times per game the last two years. And his lead back received only a share over 55%. So again, you're not asking a lot there. At somewhere around that range, you're still north of 200 carries if Swift can stay healthy for a 17-game season. You know, if he can even just produce that second half yards per carry mark with about 4.31, again, not out of the realm possibility. Like, again, he's not a, a thousand yard guy for me on the ground. I have him at 920, a little over 925. You know, I still think he's going to be a six or seven rushing touchdown guy. I don't think we're going to get a, I don't put it this way. I'm not sure we're going to get more than 10 rushing touchdowns from the Lions all season uh, from the running back position. So he's not going to be able to be touched double digits there. But I think target share is going to be interesting because running backs average nearly 11 targets per game with Anthony Lynn over the last two years. Um, and then, and, but Jared Goff's got to throw a little bit more to running backs. So I kind of split in the middle there. And I think we're looking at about eight to eight and a half targets for all Lions running backs per game. And I think that's conservative. But I feel like that's a decent number because I still need to see Jared Goff make that adjustment to his game a little bit more. Uh, and then the lead back for Lynn averaged about 61, 62% of those targets last year. So to me, I think the thing that's going to pull him up too is, you know, even though he might not be a thousand yard rusher, you know, he's going to be an 80 to 88 to 90 target guy if he plays a full season there. And if he does that, he's going to catch 75 balls at another 500 plus yards. So I think you're looking up by the end of the year and you can have him split plenty of time with Jamal Williams, you know, who I have here, you know, as a guy that's going to get about, 36% of the carries and is going to get a, uh, a decent amount of target share as well, a 35% target share. That's pretty significant workload I still have projected for Jamal Williams. So I, I think the, DeAndre Swift, while it's not going to be in the traditional RB1 sense, he's going to have plenty of numbers to be successful next year. He's going to have to piece it together through the passing game and through some of that volume as well. But we have seen Anthony Lynn successfully manufacture a top fantasy running back using this formula in Los Angeles. I think DeAndre Swift's a better quite frankly, overall running back and a more talented player than Austin Eckler is. I I think this is going to be perfectly fine for him. And I think the talk about, look, Jamal Williams is real, but by the way, it's not like DeAndre Swift wasn't seeding big workloads last year and his numbers were fine. And he was seeding workload in the back half of the year too. People forget that. Uh, I don't think the Todd Gurley stuff matters. I don't care where Todd Gurley goes. It's not going to matter. So if he ends up signing in Detroit, I do not care. Uh, I think DeAndre Swift's going to be perfectly fine. And he's somebody that I'm actively targeting. If people are, are like Chris are running away from him, running away, they're afraid of Jamal Williams and Todd Gurley. Judge Jake Arian says, 
God, I got to make a decision here. I'm going to have to go with Jamie, but I'm also going to tell, say, Chris, you have him too high. I can't, I cannot have him where he is above Nick Chubb for one. And I know Nick Chubb splitting whatever, but that's, I see where you're saying there's too many ifs to say he's going to get to that, that ceiling. So I do have him a little bit too high, but I agree with a lot of the comments you said, especially with the staff. We're talking about biting off kneecaps and we want to play physical. They have a sneakily, there's our favorite word, good offensive line. I like Mm -hmm. what they're doing on the offensive line. Their tight ends are going to be coached well. They're going to block a lot better. Hawkinson will stick his face in there, but they're going to have other guys when they're in 12 personnel. They're going to make a concerted effort to run the ball. So I like all of that. I still got him a little too high because there's too many ifs to be an RB1 for me. But I don't have him that much lower. So I'm going to have to go with Jamie. I'm not running away, Chris. I mean, that was a pretty damn good argument when your whole thing was how much he's on the field. Jamie just gave you all the numbers. That's why I love doing this. Man. Sure, Jamie, but – numbers are hard to beat when you when you throw out your argument and then he gives you the numbers, you're like, ah, crap. I'll try to argue Jamie's numbers because I, okay. I, I do th- I do think – again, the process is not what I have a problem with. Because Anthony Lynn is there, I think it's very very valid to look at what Anthony Lynn does with has done with running backs in the past as a play caller. I, I agree with that. My only question there is Austin Eckler is so special at what he does. And DeAndre Swift catches it really, really well, but I don't know that he catches it that well. So I don't know that I don't know that I love the Anthony Lynn comp as much as Jamie put out there, but I do love the staff and the way that they want to do it from the top down. I just think there's a lot of benefit of the doubt that is given to DeAndre Swift and the situation that I'm not willing to give. Right? But, that that's but what that's do you mean really by what that? Here's so the like, one what, thing that I will throw this out there where I give Jamie the nod on this one. It's the same Melvin Gar- Gordon argument. They're not paying him 10 million, but they invested a first round pick in him middle of the first round, that's going to give you the benefit of the doubt to be the dude over Jamal Williams, who's a solid player. I think we're giving Jamal Williams way too much credit here. Sure, but didn't we say the same thing about the DeAndre Swift situation last year? No, they inv- a rookie. There's a difference in being a rookie and splitting time and then the second year being the dude with a new staff that they invested. They, they didn't invest that in, but he's, Fair. the Lions still did. I mean, I Fair. think you can't talk about this without saying organizationally, we gave up that to take him. And, and that's that's all well and good. And I, and I very much hear what you're saying. I just – it's one of those things where I went through this process last year of being a DeAndre Swift owner, and it just felt as if you didn't know how many touches he was going to get on a weekly basis. You knew he was the more talented back in the situation. You knew he was the guy that could really change the game for them, and it just felt like they never handed it over to him. Now, new staff, but that's, that's asking me to now – restart all over again because yes DeAndre Swift's not a rookie but now there's a brand new coaching staff and a brand new system that they're going to run and he has to learn their their terminology what they're asking of him so it feels like I've hit the reset button once again so I just decided I'm going to wash my hands clean of the situation and move on and I turned it into a first round pick and Kareem Hunt and I feel much better about myself I just have a tough time the two names right before DeAndre Swift on this list Nick Chubb like you mentioned Jake and Antonio Gibson I just think those two guys, I would feel more comfortable with being on my roster than DeAndre Swift. And I could probably find some other names that I feel more comfortable with. But, Jamie, I'm not arguing with you in the sense of I see how you get there and I understand how you get there. It's just as somebody who was a DeAndre Swift owner last year, I'm not going to put myself through that again. That's why I'm stuck in the middle. I like that. I like the argument to the argument. It's pretty solid. I mean, he was the RB16 last year, Gretz. No, I know. In average fantasy points per game. So, like, this notion that he didn't do that. And, by the way, he scored more per, per game last year than Antonio Gibson did. By the way, if so, he catches the damn ball in week one, he probably plays the whole freaking season and he's a superstar. 
Correct. I mean, so like, again, I, I get your hesitation, but I also think you have to look at this in context of saying you feel safer with Antonio Gibson doesn't make a lot of sense to me because one no. of them's hurt right now. Yeah. Well, uh, I just with outscored Antonio Gibson with a far lower target share on a per game basis last year. So like, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, this is where I think where I understand your concern. I just think the concern gets overblown. And by the way, you're not the only one. There are a lot of people in in this bucket. I just think the concern has gone overblown. Whether act, I think the feeling is is almost like DeAndre Swift either finished as the RB twenty six last year or finished where he did and got a much bigger workload. Like neither one of those things are the case. Fair. I I, I very much agree with that. I like this part. If we take the name off and who he's playing for, and we take because your entire argument was how much he's out there, and then Jamie gives you the numbers of. Take, it's not DeAndre Swift. It's just player A. Sure. Here, here's what he did. You go, okay, I like him more than the fact that I got stung by DeAndre Swift. I, yes. in, your, in your fantasy draft, I love what you did. I have no problem with you running away there. But in a redraft league this year, and you take the name off there that bit you in the ass last year for doing it and just plug that player in, I think you're going to be very happy with that. And maybe it's I just can't see past that. I don't think Detroit's going to be very good this season, and I and I just struggle having any Detroit Lions on my team. Like I just struggle with with. But the that. worst and, they are, that's kind of better for DeAndre Swift because I don't think you expect DeAndre Swift's majority of his value is going to come as a pure rusher. I think the majority of the value is going to come from him in the passing game. You know, I think that's where separates because if you're looking at his his total rushing numbers right now, the way I have it. 214 carries, 925 yards, just under seven touchdowns doesn't overwhelm you. None of that screams RB1. Correct. It's you putting that together with a potential 75 catch, 500, 600 receiving yard season and other three touchdowns that puts him up into this category. So Before we jump off this, I'll say this. If you're Jamal Williams you're looking to get paid and Detroit offered you the most money, but organizationally from a Lions standpoint, DeAndre Swift is a three down star that you took in the first yes. round because he can do that. You took Jamal Williams as a really solid player that's a phenomenal pass blocker on third down. You know if he has to, DeAndre Swift can play first and second, Jamal Williams can play third. But you're going to give Swift the opp- every opportunity to be on the field in the shotgun, two-minute, th- you know, third down, all that stuff where you know you have that emergency fund in Jamal Williams, but they're going to give DeAndre Swift every, every possibility to be a three-down star. He's got to stay healthy to do it. And, and, and to put a bow on that, Chris, I'm not projecting – him to be that player. I'm hoping he can be that player. Right. I'm no, and I know that three down star, yeah, but correct. Like if, if I projected him as that, he would be in the top 10. Like I, I think this is, I don't want to say this is conservative. I think this is doable. And I think it's doable even with a significant timeshare with Jamal Williams. Let's get to the next one. I'm super well, excited. I have, I have one more quick thing, and I'm not. I don't want it to derail completely. But I pulled up the game logs because I wanted to see if what my what my brain remembered from last season is what actually happened. And there were a lot of times where, again, DeAndre Swift had performances where he got nine fantasy points, five fantasy points. And now he did have those 20 point performances and he did have those double digit performances, but it was a struggle to get to that 15, 20 point mark that I think you're really going to need to be an RB one. So Jamie, I, I get what you're saying. I'm not disputing the numbers, but I, I, I think, I think I am jaded as somebody who went through this last year. And, and I, and I, I have no problem admitting that. I think I'm jaded by going through this process a year ago, and I just decided I didn't want to deal with it again this year. I mean, I get it. Um, but there's also like last year, one, two. So Nick Chubb played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. How many games did he play? 12. And he had, of those 12 games, a third of them were under 15 points. And two of them were under six. 
So like, uh, here's where this is. This is why I, I'm just look. DeAndre Swift could have could struggle. I'm not saying that, but I think sometimes, and this is a great point you brought up, Chris, because it's something that I've I struggle with too. Sometimes when you are burned by a player that you had and you watched and you watched them have, you you know intimate details of every single week of how they hurt, helped you hurt your team. You sometimes forget that that's happening with other players too. Correct. Like, and so to me, it goes, I, I under, look, if you, they're in the same tier, if you're going to draft Nick Chubb or you're going to draft Antonio Gibson ahead of DeAndre Swift, I'm not going to come to your house and beat your door down and call you stupid. Like that would be, that would be ridiculous. They're in the same tier and those guys are really close to each other. I'm just saying that those guys have a lot of the same warts and same concerns that you just expressed with DeAndre Swift. You just don't know about them as intimately because they weren't on your fantasy team last year. You and I both had DeAndre Swift last year. And trust me, I was going through the pain of trying to figure out why Adrian Peterson is getting so much damn work when DeAndre, when I need DeAndre Swift to have more. Like, I get it. Yes. But I'm just saying that sometimes you can – you remember the warts of the guys that have burned you more so than the guys that have burned other fantasy managers. That's all I'm saying. A very small tier two to discuss here. Joe Mixon, Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott. And Cam Akers. No, Cam Akers is in tier three. No, he's not. Is he not in tier three? Up. I have your article Andrew pulled Swift up. on 12. I said Cam Akers at 11 when we did tier three. I read all the names. Well, then I'm going back to freaking tier three. All right, we're going back to tier three. We're going back to Cam Akers. Okay. Bingo. I fell in love with this kid at the end of last year. If he stays healthy, and he played through the ankle injury, he's a stud. He is a three-down star. Daryl Henderson's still going to be a thing. He's going to take some touches. But if they want to play this guy as a three-down star – He's maybe one of my biggest breakout running backs of the year. Yeah, With an ankle injury, he was one of the most explosive guys. I didn't know coming out of Florida State if he was going to be that good in the passing game, that explosive. He is as dynamic as anybody playing the running back position in the NFL right now. I love the offense. I think they're going to throw it a ton. But McVay always goes back to that running game. They want to run a, play, a lot of play action. I, I like where you have him here, but I think he's got the potential to be a top four guy to finish the season. He could. Um, it, it just it's to me he's still somebody that has a risk of losing some touches, and I want to see if he stays healthy. But I like him a lot. Um, he once he took over week thirteen on, including the postseason, he got seventy four percent of the running back share, um, and so that that's significant. McVay wants to run the ball. Uh, I you know I haven't Stafford projected. Will dump it off too. I mean Stafford's yes. gonna take what what the defense gives you, and if you're gonna try to take away those receivers playing zone, I think there's gonna be a lot of opportunities for him to just even on a non-call with play to the running back, throw it, dump it down, throw it in a flat, whatever. And, and I just love his dynamic after the balls in his hands ability. Yeah. I think, I think a big season's ahead for him. I have him projected to be even in 15 games to be over 300 carries. Like I think the Rams are going to run the ball a lot this year. It's going to be a much more efficient offense, which is a little bit why I talked about being down on Stafford and fantasy. It's not that I don't love the talent of Stafford. I just think he's, his success will allow the Rams to run the ball a little bit more. And that'll be great for the Rams team, but it might not be awesome for Stafford's particular fantasy value. But I'm excited to see what Cam Akers can do over a full year if he stays healthy. Tier two? Yes. Are we okay? Okay. Uh, I'll read the names again. Joe Mixon, Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott are the four names here uh, in tier two. I guess we have to ask ourselves which conversation we want to have more. Do we want to have the Ezekiel Elliott conversation or do we want to have the Saquon Barkley conversation? Isn't it? Like this is the tier of guys of you can sit back and you look at them and you can go any one of these backs, if healthy, if and a lot of it's if healthy, can be a top five running back. 
But there are significant factors you have to consider for all of them right now that say, I can't quite put them in that top tier. And like, that's the separator for me. And this is where, like, if we talk about where do you want to draft in fantasy, I want to get somebody before these backs, if I have that opportunity. Uh, you know, so if you look at the top six running backs, which we'll talk about in a second, you, you, you insert a wide receiver. So you kind of want to pick in that top seven, maybe top eight, if you're feeling, if you're feeling froggy, but that's kind of where I, I want to get for these guys. Austin uh, Eckler has by far the least amount of questions in this year. Yes. I just, I just think he's, you're going to miss time with him. Um, I want to see how he's used with, you know, a newer staff, but I like it. I think, uh, I think Joe Lombardi is going to use him very effectively. Uh, he, but you know what you're going to get with Austin Eckler. Uh, Joe Mixon, look, <laughs> Boomer dude, bust, right? Dude's like, just got to stay on the field. Out. If they're going to sling it that much. He's going to get work, and he started to get more work. Giovanni Bernard's not there, and yes, he's going to come off the field some on third downs. Like, I, Samaje P. Ryan or, or whatever the rookie – what's the rookie they brought in there? Whatever it is, gonna, they're going to get some work. Uh, but they're, Mixon's going to be the guy. But the dude, And he's been really productive when he's gotten the opportunity, and we start to see him excel more last year in a bigger pass-catching role – and that team's going to throw the ball a stupid amount of times this year. It's like it might be them in Dallas at the very top of the league in terms of total pass attempts. He's got to stay on the field. And, like, that's the concern. Like, are you going to draft him as an RB1, which, again, he's got top five running back upside. And what was you, the injury last year, James? Yeah, it's a – what was the – Yep, there's the foot, then the extended foot. Like the, oh, he'll be back in a couple of weeks. Oh, he's still coming. Or, oh, he's out indefinitely. Oh, maybe we'll get him this season. Then never saw him again. And never saw him again. No, it's risk. Like if you if you told me right now you can guarantee me seventeen healthy games of Joe Mixon, I'm taking him in the first half of the first round. But you're not yeah. going to get seventeen healthy games of Joe Mixon. So you have to kind of find out where I settled on fifteen games here, or excuse me, fourteen games for him. So him missing three games. If he misses three games, I'm comfortable with him here at ten. If he misses more, your your value is going to get hurt there. Saquon, we don't need. I don't know how many times I could talk about the Saquon Barkley stuff. Um, Do not touch. Everybody knows what I feel about that already. Uh, so I will move on. Zeke is in this spot for me where I think he'll have a decent season again. The offensive line is going to be a problem, but with Dak back, assuming health, he's going to get plenty of targets. He's going to get plenty of dump down options. It's going to it's going to boost his value much like it did in the first little over a month of the season last year. Uh, I don't think he's going to be like RB2 or RB3 or any RB4 like you've been drafting him with over the years. But I think as you start to look at the second tier and you get to the back part of the first round, uh, I think I'd be comfortable taking him in that spot. I think he has a bounce back season. I, I think he has to be embarrassed uh, coming off the contract the year they had last year. It wasn't all him, but his backup, Tony Pollard, outperformed him by a long shot when he got the yeah. opportunity to do it. He's got to be embarrassed by that. I think he has a pretty good bounce back season. Tier one running backs. There are six of them. And Jamie, I actually think you could have split this tier into two separate tiers. Alvin I, could, I thought about it. I, and I did last year. When I did this stuff last year, I did it. I just felt like I was being pretentious, so I didn't this time. You could have split this into three tiers, technically. Well, yeah, to me, like, here's my issue with tiers. And I, I look, I, I do the tiers because people like it. And people ask me to do tiers. Because you give the people what they want. It's a consumable. Know? Yes. Uh, look, I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. It's not like I have the biggest following in the fantasy world. So the people that do follow me that ask for specific things, I try to be like, okay, let me structure my work so it's more readable. Don't you talk about my boy like that. You got plenty of damn following. But I, I, my issue with tiers is I always feel like my tiers are going to be wrong in the sense that I would like to have a lot more smaller tiers. 
Like to me, I, I would have like, what do I have on this list? We have eight tiers. There, I believe there are eight tiers. Did you I want probably like tiers? 15 to 16 if I okay, really good. wanted to do it. You know what I mean? Because like, to be fair, like Christian McCaffrey shouldn't be in the same tier as number six, Alvin Kamara. Correct. Shouldn't be in but the I also tier feel like, two. but it's also feel like it's not helpful. You know what I mean? Well, like, I feel like it's not helpful to anybody to do that. So I don't actually do that. Maybe. Because nobody's debating maybe. between Alvin Kamara or Christian McCaffrey with the first pick. People are stupid. I know that for a fact. I would love to see Christian McCaffrey in bold letters and yep. then everybody else in tier two or three right there. So I did last year. It's, it's like that again. I mean, you look at your numbers, which are never wrong. They're stupid for McCaffrey. Like, I, I, every, I just had a doubt yeah, I like so every time I do McCaffrey, I just laugh because it, it just it's always stupid. Because like the, the amount of volume he gets is ridiculous. Like and, and I and I adjusted this to the only adjustments I made because I looked at McCaffrey's three year averages for yards per attempt, rushing touchdowns, target share, all, all that other stuff. The only adjustment I made is I looked at how often running backs were given the ball in this Joe Brady offense last year. And still using that mark, you're still coming out to a twenty five points per game player. Like, if he stays healthy, he's in a tier of his own. And by the way, he's been healthy every year but last year. It doesn't mean, is this the start of a trend? What Running backs get hurt. Like, it is what it is. But I I thought about it. Because if you remember my way too early mock draft, I believe, Chris, and correct me if I'm wrong, I had Dalvin Cook at one. You did. And I was wrong. Because I the reality did, yeah. is if I'm predicting Christian McCaffrey to be healthy, he is. there is no argument for anybody else. If you think he's gonna, If you think he's going to be healthy, if you turn injuries off in the settings – there is no argument for anybody else at one other than Christian McCaffrey. I love that one. I'll tell you one that, that pops out at me that I like where you have him, but Derrick Henry at four still feels too high to me. I don't know what we're getting from the new offense. They're bringing in Julio. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure for them to throw more. This defense is not very good. I don't know that it's going to be the same workload for Derrick Henry, and he is not involved in the passing game at all, minus one giant screen pass that he takes for 70 yards every year. Yeah, it's and that's – I'm like that, almost hands off on him where, where you're going to have to take him. Cause I think he's going to overdrafted. I'm not taking him in the first half of the first round. Yeah. I still think he's going to get plenty of, of still get plenty of carries and we'll have to see, but like, yeah, his passing game stuff is non-existent, but he, and it's been non-existent for a while, which is why he kind of never rises above this kind of ceiling for him. The question is, does he still continue to get that 21, 22 carries per game workload that he's averaged over the last couple of years? I still think he can. Um, and I still think he's a player that over the course of a 17 game season now is just going to get a, such a high touchdown rate for you. Like I, I have met 18 touchdowns uh, on the ground and I just, that's, that's just going to boost his value so high. But I, I do agree. There are more, there's more reason to at least kind of like cock your head and like, look at it a little bit more skeptically than there has been these last couple of years with him. But, you know, to me, I think him being at four is less about that. I'm as confident in Derrick Henry as ever as it is. I am less confident in some of the pieces around him. Who the hell else are you going to put there at four? That's, what I, that's what I mean. And because we talk about the other guys that have been going in, in that realm, and it's the Alvin Kamara's of the world, who I think I am way more concerned about what Alvin Kamara is walking into this year than Derrick Henry. Yep. Talk about the Ezekiel Elliott's and the Saquon Barkley's and some of these other players that you were taking in that like RB2, RB3, RB4 range they have bigger question marks than Henry. So it's almost in the sense of like those guys fell beneath him. It feels like that whole tier kind of shifted a little bit down. So even yep. though he's kind of in the same spot he's been the last couple of years, it's mostly because some of the other pieces that were around him have, have bigger issues that I'm concerned with. Even our boy, our consensus boy and Aaron Jones is below him. 
Do we feel better that Jamal Williams is gone and that they paid him? Or are we still worried about Quadzilla and this offense and who the hell knows what's going on with Aaron Rodgers? I'm more, I'm worried about Rodgers. I love this dude. They've got to be the guy now that they paid him, right? Like, yeah, I'm not worried about A.J. Dillon. Yeah. I'm not because the, the concern for me with Jamal Williams was more like he was coming on the field and clear passing downs and stealing pass catching work. I don't need Aaron. Like, look, Aaron Jones is going to run the ball plenty. Like, but I don't need Aaron. Like, Aaron Jones is going to get the red zone touches. Aaron Jones is going to get a dozen rushing touchdowns or more. Like, he's going to get that work. The, the Jamal Williams stuff was when they were running two minute drill or when they're running, you know, inside of, you know, the four minute drill at the end of games or third down a lot, like the scenarios where you would get some easy two, two and a half fantasy points of dump downs. And, you know, he gets to go, he gets 15 yards on, you know, on third and 20 type of a thing. Those were the things he was losing with Jamal Williams and AJ Dillon isn't taking those snaps. So I'm okay. If AJ Dillon, if I'm trading off and saying, okay, let's say Aaron Jones plays the same amount of snap share that he played before. And we're going to give all of Jamal Williams, snap share to AJ Dillon, but Aaron Jones is going to get more of the pass catching snap share and AJ Dillon's going to get more of the rushing downs. I think you're going to be fine. Like I, I, so I'm perfectly okay with that role there. The only hesitation for me and why I probably, why I don't have him higher again, I have him at five. It's not like I'm low on him. Um, the only reason I don't have a little bit higher is I still have to consider the Aaron Rodgers situation. Now, if we find out Aaron Rodgers is not playing, he will drop considerably lower than five, but that's the concern of there's still that like, eh, are you going to draft him? And then it's what is Jordan Love's offense going to look like for this team? So I don't know. I, I don't, we're not at that point yet. It's here in, on June 21st when we're recording this, but you know, talk to me in two months. The only other one is Jonathan Taylor, who we all love. He's a star. He's a three down star. He finished the year as the monster. I think they're going to try to run it even more than they've been running in the past. Save Carson Wentz a little bit, not ask him to do too much. Take more of what the defense gives you, which is a guy that in space is absolutely dynamic. I think he's a bigger, maybe even faster version of Cam Akers. Different yeah. playmakers, different quarterback. But I mean, this, this, I know Naheem Hines is a thing. I know they've got Marlon Mack coming back. They got, but that's all pieces behind him to give him a little bit of a break here and there. I think his workload goes up, and I think you see him finish the year like he did, you know, start the year like he finished last year. Agree completely. And look, Naeem Hines had a role even when Jonathan Taylor took over. So it's not like I'm not factoring in Naeem Hines, who I also have here as, as a pretty solid flex play, as we talked about in an earlier show. But I, to me, I don't see Marlon Mack as competition anymore unless Taylor gets banged up. Like, I don't think they're taking touches away from Jonathan Taylor to give them to Marlon Mack at this point, who is basically back on a one-year prove-it deal that kind of surprised all of us yeah. uh, when he ended up signing it this offseason. So, look, I, this is aggressive. Um, to me, it's more, I think, the RB3, and as Chris knows, when I was going through this process, him and I were chatting back and forth on Slack a lot about, like, should I do it? Should I just put Jonathan Taylor at RB3? And, and he was, you know, he was the devil on my shoulder encouraging me to do it. Uh, I just think the RB3 race is as open as ever. Like yep. if you if you, if if Jonathan Taylor's your guy, I'm with you. If Derrick Henry's your guy, fine. If we, we get confirmation that Aaron Jones or excuse me, Aaron Rodgers is coming back and is playing, Aaron Jones is your guy, fine. If it's Alvin Kamara, I think it's risky. It's riskier than before, but I'm also not going to think you're crazy because I love Alvin Kamara as a talent. That's fine. I think the race for RB three is fascinating because there are, there's really an argument for four different players, and you can you can make a pretty strong pros and cons list for all four of them behind the top two guys, which are obviously, as we've talked about Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin cook. That's Very it. different situation than last year with the running backs. Yes. That's it. Running backs are done. We are, we are, we are done with the running backs, which means 
one position left to go. The tight ends are coming up on Wednesday. And then sleepers and bus projections. And then obviously the Q&A show that we've been teasing uh, all throughout that. Those Both of those shows uh, will be next week. Jamie is not uh, has not tiered the defenses or kickers. So we will not be breaking that stuff down here uh, on the show. Uh, Jamie, I will give the floor to you, my friend, to tell everybody where they can follow you on social media. But uh, tease what's coming up on Sunday. Ah, as yes. Well. But, Thank you. So I will get the... the uh self-aggrandizing stuff out of the way right away it is at jamie eisner on twitter and at jamie eisner tdn on instagram but the big thing after we talk about tight end projections here on the tdn fantasy podcast on wednesday we will have a live top 200 reveal show you can watch it on any of the draft network social media platforms twitter instagram uh, or YouTube, I suggest you would go Twitter or YouTube if you want to watch the full show. And then obviously there'll be clips available for everybody on all of the social media platforms. But uh, at the Draft Network on Twitter, the Draft Network on YouTube, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Central Time, and I don't know, like 2 p.m. Hawaiian for those that are listening there. Uh, I don't know if even that's the right time zone there, Chris. But uh, live Top 200 Reveal Show, Chris, myself, and uh, fantasy intern Zach Cohen will be breaking down my top 200, we were going from 200 to 1, breaking down some of the key players. Uh, we will be basically rehashing some of the arguments you've heard on this show at certain times because there are certain key players that Chris and I just, quite frankly, don't agree about uh, and some that we overly agree on and we really want to beat the point home. But we're going to break down in order, which, by the way, is going to include kickers and defenses uh, in these rankings, the top 200 PPR reveal show going from 200 to 1. So keep an eye out for that. Next Sunday, June 27th, live 8 p.m. Eastern. You'll be able to watch replays if you're not able to catch it live. The Draft Network on Twitter and YouTube. Uh, Jamie, I can confirm that uh, 2 p.m. Hawaii time is when that show will air. So 8, 8 p.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. Pacific, and then 2 p.m. Uh, for those of you in Hawaii. Jake, where can everybody follow you on social media? Jake B. Arians on Twitter and Arians NFL on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter at Shoe Radio, S-C-H-U Radio. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at TDN Fantasy. Again, that's where you're going to want to tweet all your fantasy-related questions so that we can get to those at the end of this projection series. And the DraftNetwork.com, Jamie's put posting all of the projection numbers themselves. Those are all up there. The running backs, I believe, are up today, Jamie. Yes, the running backs are up, and then the tight ends will be up the same day that we do it on the podcast on Wednesday. So you will have access to it all. I mean, if you're able to check it out, it is a it's an embedded Google Sheet. So you'll be able to see points, points per game, every piece of information. And then again, I suggest, as always, you take that information and you adjust it. If you think a player's workload is going to be higher or lower, adjust it by there um, and adjust it for your own league settings. I have everything from you know carries, touchdowns, targets. If you're half PPR, if you're standard, if you're whatever it might be, um, check that out and you'll be able to use all these projections to help you make your fantasy rankings or at least spark some discussion. Everybody, have a great start to your week. We'll be back on Wednesday to do the tight end projection show. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.